Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Cole Miller. And joining us this week, um, a guest that I, I'm really excited to have on because of a lot of the work that he's been doing lately um, has really piqued my interest. Usually, I'm not a huge stats and numbers guy. Um, I, I like to be a lot more oriented on what I'm seeing with my eyes, eye test evaluation, film study, etc. But you have to start that type of research somewhere. And what better way to do that than using some of the statistical models that CJ Marchesani's actually been throwing out there. Um, CJ, first of all, how are you doing this week, my friend? I'm so honored to have you on. Um, how did you get your start in in the scouting world doing some of these basketball projects and what if you want to explain to my audience some of the stuff that you've been working on lately that you can they can find on your social media i'm i'm, I'm really curious to get your take on why you started doing some of this and, and and what some of these models mean from your perspective yeah sure thing well first of all thank you for having me on it's great to talk to you guys and i've been a basketball fan forever i'm an og philadelphia 76ers Allen iverson fan so I've kind of been a fan of the team the whole time, but I didn't get too much into the draft Twitter and the analytics side of Twitter until the last maybe two or three years. And part of my background, my work background and things like that is in Excel and Google Sheets. So I do a ton of work there and that kind of just snowballed and collided interests into me doing a lot of that kind of stuff for basketball that I love and kind of just combining two interests and two things that I like to do. Absolutely. Um, so w one of the projects I've seen pop up uh, on social media recently was your, your whole idea of putting together a project that's that involves gravity and spacing um, and, and, and kind of making some projections based on those two things, actually quantifying them and, and seeing how that relates, not just from an individual perspective, but doing those calculations for an entire team. And from there, being able to see where that team's weaknesses lied in terms of being able to shoot from the perimeter. Why don't you explain that a little bit for my audience? Sure. And that one actually has a pretty simple origin story. I only really started doing them last year. And the player that kind of sparked that was Cole Anthony on UNC. That UNC team was just one of the most poorly spaced floors that I have seen. And I remember, I remember just seeing the impact that a good shooter, just one good shooter, can have on the floor and start to pull people out. And that drew me to want to quantify that. And a little bit of where the metrics coming from, like you said, it's spacing and gravity. And spacing tries to measure that that exact thing how much a shooter has impact on his defender the spacing is trying to measure the shooter pulling that defender out to the three-point line and it's kind of a give-and-take thing because the gravity tries to measure the on-ball player and how much he is having an impact on help defenders and pulling them away from the shooters so you're kind of looking on a perfectly spaced floor to have a balance of both the spacing and the gravity and open up room for everybody. And I think it ties into the draft a little bit as well because you can kind of look at contexts for players like Cole Anthony and maybe they're not succeeding because of a poor context. Or you can look on the other end of the spectrum for a guy that maybe is playing in an ideal context. Gonzaga this year, Butler this year, or I'm excuse me, Baylor this year. Both would quantify as really ideal contexts for a prospect to play on. And it's maybe not a docking, but 
every data point is important to see what context these guys are coming from. Absolutely fascinating work. Certainly, you know I'm going to give my stamp of approval on any kind of project where, where Cole Anthony's coming out on top. Um, the, the, that was one of my guys definitely for sure in, in last year's draft. And I'm very curious to keep reading your work. Um, CJ's now at the Stepien. Um, he's already put up a few scouting reports over there. And I'm absolutely, like I said, I'm really excited to keep seeing what you do, man. I'm, I've been really happy reading your stuff and, and, and listening to you. And I, I'm excited to jump into some of these guys tonight because I think in terms of a collective of prospects this is going to be one of our more interesting groups that we're going to talk about on this podcast i believe i'm going to have the title um as some of these 21 nba draft mixed bag type of prospects and the reason why i'm using that term is because i don't have fully formed opinions on these guys i i i think i know where i stand i'm about 80 80 85 percent sure about where i stand on these guys and where i would feel comfortable drafting them um, but but any solid case that, that someone would want to make to me, I mean, my, my, I'm all ears. My, my ears are perked up. I'm ready to listen and, and possibly go back and reevaluate things for myself. So that's why I think it's so awesome to have the perspective of someone like CJ on this episode tonight because he, he is so enthralled with, with, with doing the research, doing the work, and he clearly has opinions um, on prospects in, in this year's draft class and, and as well as previous draft classes. So as someone who, like myself and Cole, is a student of the game, I'm excited to dive right in with someone who um, I, I know, CJ, that you're very passionate about. At least that's the way you've been coming across on uh, on social media. Maybe he's not like a, like a top five guy for you or anything like that, not saying that, but somebody who you do believe in um, to succeed in the NBA, and that's Miles McBride, um, the West Virginia guard. So normally... I would kind of start off with a prospect and, and give my whole spiel, go through a few numbers, and I'll still do that. But CJ, I want to kick it over to you first because Miles McBride is someone I've been toying with having in, in like a late first, early second type draft range. And I know some people have him as like a, a near lottery guy. Some people have him entrenched in like this, this mid-second round range. There, there's varying opinions on him. But I want to hear as a, as a McBride supporter – along with, I guess, a lot of people I see on draft Twitter uh, support McBride. But I want to hear from you, man. What do you love about Miles McBride? Uh, why do you think he's going to succeed in the NBA? What do you see that he brings to the table? Sure thing. And I, I fall a little bit in between um, the two ranges that you were saying. I, I try to balance out my head and my heart a little bit. I am a huge McBride supporter. I think he's going to be awesome. He's somewhere in the 22-23 range on my board right now. So I would say I'm higher than consensus. But one of the things, or really the thing, that draws me to him is I think he's just awesome at basketball. And a little bit different than some of the other guys on this list that we're going to talk about today, who are all great. I look at Miles as a guy that, not someone that you're, looking for in the second round as much as a guy that if he starts to be there at the end of the first beginning of the second just becomes a steal that you're getting a value on really just because he's 6'2". I think if he were 6'4", he, he would have a whole different perception as a prospect and would be challenging people in those lottery guys. A lot of the, you talked about this at the beginning, I kind of balanced the statistical side and the film side, but I'll start from the stat side. A lot of the 
queries and kind of module model things that you can run with Deuce puts him up there among the top in the league. He, he's not a guy that really charts out as a second round pick. And I think he's kind of fallen into that range due to his size, which is a fair concern. And I know we'll break him down much more in depth as we go through this. But just off the top of the bat, I'll pull this one for you as that I found while I was getting ready. If you, and BPM has million flaws, but it's it's kind of something that I like to use as a benchmark. Just where approximately does a guy fall statistically if you're looking at the whole box score. If you pull every guy that is a freshman and a sophomore in this year's draft, and we'll get rid of the big guys because BPM kind of favors them unfairly. But all of the guards and forward prospects in this draft that played, uh, I think it's 600 minutes, these are the guys left that have a BPM over nine. It's Evan Mobley, who I left in there because he can kind of pinch down out of the big, that big man range. Deuce McBride, Franz Wagner, uh, Jalen Suggs, and Matthew Hurt, who has a little bit of an asterisk next to him because he doesn't necessarily hit the defensive benchmarks you're looking for. But it's a exclusive group. And I think that kind of speaks to just the tip of the iceberg of my feelings on him, that he's just a really good basketball player that you would be getting a discount on for size reasons. Do you feel that he can excel on virtually any team? Do you think he's interchangeable at that guard spot? Or do you feel like he needs a certain context to succeed? Because for me... When I look at a lot of different things with McBride, he seems like this tailor-made guard prospect. Now, obviously not not the same as as Patrick Beverly, but that that same type of role where you would want to have him next to this jumbo type playmaker um, and kind of just let McBride, as you say, he just seems like a really good basketball player. Just let him play the game as it comes naturally to him. Let him spot up for open three-point shots. Let him cut to the basket. Let him move the ball, not necessarily dominate the ball, but let him act in like this secondary type role where you can get him moving um, in, in space. You can get him to catch the ball and then he can make a quick decision with it, which generally he's going to make that good decision. One of the statistical uh, metrics that, that I like to look at for, for guards, obviously, is assist-to-turnover ratio. And he was one of the best in the country this year in terms of not only taking care and, and limiting his turnover, turnovers but also maximizing where he's passing the ball and when and then obviously it's not like he he wasn't shooting in volume on that West Virginia team he was taking almost 13 shots a game so when you combine um, the 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 team and, and and what they wanted him to do offensively from a scoring as well as a distribution standpoint what McBride did for that West Virginia team th this year I mean he he really was the heart of that team and he, and he embodies um, a, a lot of things that uh, Co Coach Huggy Bear, <laughs> as we affectionately call him, but Bob Huggins, um, what, what wants his team to embody. So I, I just wonder if he's more of a situational type guard, or do you think that he's actually more capable of producing on the ball in more volume and being more of a creator um, the, the, than what I would necessarily think he might be coming into the NBA because of his size, some of those other concerns? No, I think you're dead on there. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Nope. I think at this point in the NBA, more more teams have jumbo creators than don't at this point, right? If you're running down the playoff roster, most of those teams are run by a 6'6", 6'7", 6'5", even kind of guy that 
is controlling the ball. And then you have the LeBrons, the Bens, the Giannis's. So I think that you're right. I think that he definitely slots into that role on a team as kind of that fifth starter and third guard, you know, interchangeably. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad role for him. He had to take on a lot of the usage at West Virginia because the only other real perimeter creator they had was Taz Sherman. But that's not necessarily his most comfortable comfortable role. I I like that you actually mentioned that assist-to-turnover ratio because I think while it's a great sign for the role that we want him in, it's also a red flag for that primary role. He had an awesome assist-to-turnover ratio. Like you said, he, he doesn't turn the ball over very often, especially in relation to his usage. But a lot of that is because he's not that next-level passer. He is a good passer, averaged a little under six assists a game, I believe, this year. But he's more reactionary passer yep. that passes to the open guy. He's not necessarily making those reads, and he's not throwing those balls into the, the tough spots. So you need him next to a primary guy. But he let's say he scales down into that role very well. He was a 92, 92nd percentile catch-and-shoot guy last year. Yep. And he he needs to play with somebody that's getting that rim pressure because he's more of that two-level kind of scorer. But in that role, especially next to a guy like Giannis or a guy like LeBron or a guy like Ben that we were talking about, he really excels as that off-ball guy that can attack the slanted floor and get downhill and get to that pull-up three, or he loves that pull-up two that, as he gets stronger, is going to step out to a pull-up three. And I think that he fits in really well in that role. So, like you were saying, I don't think he's necessarily a perfect fit on every team, but I think that smaller point guard that fits with the jumbo creator is a role that is becoming more and more common in the league, and he's an excellent, excellent uh, fit in that role. Cole, what are your thoughts on on that role type fit um, with, with McBride? What what type of team would you like to draft him into? How do you see him not not just panning out in the NBA, but where do you see that he really fits in in the league? I agree with how you guys have led this off with the fact that he should play next to one of these jumbo creators. And I like how you said it. He's a really really good basketball player, and he is. He knows how to play off the ball. He knows how to play on the ball. I think he lacks next level juice in terms of zippiness as a, as a primary point guard. And that's kind of why he shouldn't be leading the offense first and foremost. I don't think it has anything to do with uh, inability to make the right reads and decisions and, and passing. It's just more a lack of being able to, you know, get by defenders on a consistent basis that some of the lead guards we see in the NBA do. That said, he's, he's got some shake and bake in his dribble game. And I wouldn't be surprised if that came along uh, in the next couple of years. And maybe he outgrows the projection we currently have on him right now. Other than that, I like the progression he made from year one to year two as a shooter. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of saw this with Jared Butler, Nate. We saw him become a, a much better reader of the game from year two to year three. And it seems like Miles did that from year one to year two. So hats off to him. I really do think he needs to be up in this first round, late, late in the first round. One of the things that really uh, caught my eye, CJ, and, and I'm curious to see if you have an opinion on this, if you have anything... Um, to, to add to this statistical, this particular stat, excuse me, um, since we're talking about percentiles, I'm glad that you want to go to some of the synergy stats because Cole and I love using those um, for, for our measure as well. But he ranked in the 100th percentile in post-ups, and he excelled in, in a similar percentile when he was passing um, out of those post-up situations. Now, I struggle to wrap my head around this one because 
it's not like he's this Jalen Brunson linebacker type guard um, who you know has the size and he's stocky and, and, and you can just tell from looking at him he's going to be able to back somebody down um, with how smart he is, how, how great his footwork is. He's going to be able to excel in those situations. Um, McBride, as you said, is 6'2". Um, he's 200 pounds. He's not this stocky type of guard. Um, what, how do you think that, that he's been able to excel in those types of situations, CJ? Is it just his footwork? Is it just his understanding of where he's on the floor when he's actually posting somebody up and, and how he's posting somebody up? What do you think contributes to that? Because I think that I, I love guards and wings who are able to bring something like that to the table because it's a unique di- dimension that when you're another team, you're not necessarily game planning against something like that to happen. Like, why would I, as an opposing team's coach, waste time drawing up a defensive scheme to eliminate like a a 6-2 guard posting somebody up you know what I mean like why would I take the time to to game plan against something like that but when you can bring something that unique to the table something that catches another team off guard that piques my interest that's what piqued my interest when we were going through and and talking about Keon Johnson to an extent because as a wing player not being the biggest wing but of how proficient he was in those situations and it sparks my interest with somebody like McBride as well yeah, and I think part of it is, like you said in that nice little intro, he is a really great passer at, in those situations. And it's a little bit of that quarterback in him that's kind of been beaten to death. But he sits there happily and just reads all the cutters around him. So you can't really help on him, not that you would necessarily think about helping on a 6-2 guard. But like you said, he, he is really comfortable in that situation. And he's strong, too. It, it doesn't always show. But there was a play in the Baylor game, the overtime game, where he started on the right wing, basically at the three-point line, and backed Davion Mitchell from the three-point line all the way down to the restricted circle. And Davion Mitchell's not exactly a slouch defender. And he took him from the three-point line on the wing all the way to the restricted circle and just did a nice little spin back to his right hand for the layup. But I think that showed a little bit of just how strong his legs are and how good his balance is, that he's able to displace guys that we that we think of as strong guards, strong guard defenders. He is a very coordinated guard, and that is something that goes along with it, is being able to excel in, in multiple situations like that. Um, along with that coordination comes his comfort level, um, stepping back on a mid-range jump shot or, or taking tough shots. And it's not necessarily something that shows up in, in the stats all the time, but when you go back and watch a lot of his film, he takes a lot of tough shots, man. And, and, and at the college level, he was able to hit them. But I really question whether he's going to be able to not only get those types of shots off at the next level when he faces bigger defenders, but also if he's going to be able to make them at, at any sort of rate like he was able to in college. Cole, what, what are your thoughts about... Um, some of his scoring ability, how much do you think is going to be able to, to translate? Is it just the easy stuff to translate, or do you think he's going to be able to hit some of those tough shots in the league if he's called upon to do so? I don't think he's going to be called upon to do it, honestly. Uh, and so regarding the post game, it's nice that he has it. I don't know how much of it translates. Um, I actually think his body is a little bit better than you're giving credit for, Nate. Would it surprise you to hear that Jalen Bronson is one inch shorter and 10 pounds lighter than this kid? It would surprise me a little bit. Yeah, so that's how Basketball Reference has Jalen Brunson listed at 6'1", 190. And we have um, Miles here listed at 6'2", 200. I think if you take another look at him, his back is wide, it is thick, and it is strong, man. This kid does have a backside, and it is, it is like really rock solid. So I think 
it will show up in ways. I just don't think it'll be like he's not going to turn into this post-dominant guard. No, 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 no. Not by any means. And and it's not like Jalen Brunson's doing that nearly as much as he did at Villanova. It's just a dimension to his game that he can go to situationally that can throw a defense off. Sure. And and I even think, you know, getting back to that playing next to a jumbo creator, it even helps him even more because he is so smart off ball. He'll be able to just stop on a dime in the middle of the paint when his guy's tailing him and not expecting it and just post him up and be so solid with his, you know, with his backside that I just mentioned. I think he can, you know, get create the offense can get creative around him like that. Um, He's sort of like built like Bruce Brown. You know, Bruce Brown is like this really solid, rock solid guard. Uh, And I think Miles is kind of built like that. So. That's actually an interesting point, Cole. Um, you talk about the body, and it's things that we don't necessarily realize. We like my, myself. I rely so much on my eyes and what I see, and I don't necessarily process um, sometimes what those numbers actually mean in context. But that that was actually a great reminder right there, comparing those two. Considering that's that's pretty much what I was doing. Um, I, I want to switch over to his defense really quick before we move on to another player, CJ. Um, I talk all the time that I don't necessarily need guards to be lockdown defenders in any way, shape, or form because it's so hard for a guard to be that great of a defender at the NBA level. But what I do like to see is someone um, who's more than willing to put pressure on an opposing offense at the point of attack. So when that ball handler steps over half court and they're getting ready to initiate the offense how much pressure does the point guard want to be able to put on that matchup um and and to me mcbride's going to excel at doing that because of how he was coached he comes from a west virginia system that that certainly helped bring javon carter up um we we, obviously javon carter was was drafted and, and is valued uh primarily for his defense although some of his offensive game has actually come along when he's gotten minutes um, for Phoenix, but I think McBride's going to be able to bring the same intensity level too. So um, I don't know if that necessarily contributes to someone who would rate out statistically as like an above average guard defender. Um, where do you think he's going to fall in the league, CJ, defensively? Do you think that he's kind of just going to be a, a net neutral? Do you think he's ultimately going to be a net positive? Um, and how much value should we put in the type of pressure that he's able to put in a guard, um, as well as some of the steals numbers? I mean, he had almost two steals a game. Um, for for a college guard, which is a pretty aggressive number. Yeah, and that's not by accident. I think there there are layers to it because I am a little bit concerned about his ability to impact the game off the ball, especially from the weak side. His mm-hmm. length is just not something that's going to be able to make that big of an impact when he's tagging rollers and when he's trying to do you know what guards do. To, they're the guard version of protecting the rim, but at the point of attack, he is a menace. And he's one of the best point of attack defenders in this draft. And part of it is just mentality. He likes to get up in guys and he enjoys it. And he likes to get his hands on on balls. He's got really strong hands. But he's able to get up on guys like that because of how quick he is and how well he changes directions north-south. So even when he gets beat by pressing guys, he locks in on their hip and uses that strength, that upper body strength, to keep guys grounded while they're driving. And he really doesn't get beat clean. He's so quick that he's able to be that in-your-face point-of-attack guard and also get side-to-side laterally and keep guys in front of you. And everybody gets beat in the league. You can't keep guys in front of you all the time. But it's important that when he does get beat, he stays right on their hip and in their body space to try to keep them from elevating and he does a really good job at it 
So I think all in all, we, we've pretty much come to the point, and, and, and I can jump on board here, um, that McBride should be viewed as like this, this late first round slash, it's somewhere between like the 20s and 30s, um, as this guard prospect who isn't necessarily this takeover point guard, but he's a very useful role player and, and can excel at what he's good at. And that's really the key, is he does enough things, at least to, to my eye, that will get him on an NBA floor and he seems like the type of kid who's going to come in and work his tail off and get better at some of the other things that you might not necessarily expect him to be good at from day one when he gets to the NBA level. But yeah, he definitely has a home. And I guess in turn, like that's probably a good thing if he goes in that range. Because as you mentioned, CJ, like we, we, we've pretty much beat to death now that he should be next to a bigger playmaker who's someone who can let McBride just, just be him. Um, and you're going to find that those teams drafting in, in the later part of that first round are going to be those better teams that generally have those jumbo playmakers already in place. So I think that, that I, I agree with you. It could be like a perfect storm in terms of where he gets drafted and the type of role that he's able to have in the NBA. And I think that's only going to help him um, succeed. And I, I don't think that that's going to hurt him whatsoever. So Miles um, McBride. Deuce McBride. I'm on board, my friend. Uh, I'm, I'm all with it. So I'm glad that we had you on to... to help ease some of my concerns and kind of put into context what his role should be in that, you know, it, it's okay to not necessarily be able to do everything, but if you have so many things, um, a few things that you can do well enough to earn those minutes, you know, I say that all the time on the podcast. It's important to remember that about every prospect that we're talking about. So uh, another guard that I want to talk about here, Max Acemas. Now this guy burst onto the scene towards when we were gearing up for tournament time. Um, I, I know Chuck from Chucking Darts talked about Acemas on, on his podcast right before the tournament. Um, and and Acemas, in turn, he, he, had, he had a really good tournament outing for those games that Oral Roberts was able to play in. Um, and on the year, he averaged almost 25 points per game. He shot 48% from the field on 17 shots a game. Uh, 43% on eight on a little over eight threes a game and 89% from the free throw line at almost six attempts per game. So you look at the volume right there. You would not expect a 6-1 guard, um, and that could very well be generous. I think he's, he's probably around six feet, maybe just slightly under six feet. Um, I, I do believe the measurement. He probably is around like 160, 165 pounds, but that, that's not a, a, a big guard. By, by any means, and some of those similar concerns we might have about McBride might come into play with, with Acemas as well. Um, but I got to be honest, I love the mentality on this kid. I love the fact that he's always in attack mode. He's not afraid of anybody. The five and a half free throw attempts per game is a number that really speaks to me. You, you wouldn't think that he's able to, to get into the paint and draw fouls like that all the time because of his size and because maybe he would want to conserve his body a little bit and not repeatedly hunt for contact to the point where he can injure himself because he's not the biggest guy, but he's fearless, man. And, and, and I really love that about Ace Smith. In terms of scoring the basketball, I mean, we can talk about what you guys think about the, the, the playmaking aspect that he brings. Me personally, I'm not really so on his, on his um, playmaking ability for others and his passing ability. I really question um, how many windows he actually sees, how many how many times can he actually hit passes through those windows effectively, what's the timing like on his passes. I have questions about those things, but if we're talking about just scoring the ball and shooting the hell out of it, I got no questions about this guy. I think he's going to be able to, to light up defenses at times or in spurts, 
similar to how he was able to in college. Like, I, I really believe in this kid's shot-making ability because he, he's not trying to take every single shot in somebody's grill. He's able to set up a shot and give himself enough space to the point where uh, between that as well as how high he ends up releasing the ball, you know, a lot of guys aren't necessarily going to block his shot. And he's so comfortable shooting the ball at that arc from so deep. Um, I, I just think his comfort level being able to do that eases some of those concerns when we're talking about a small shooter. So, um, CJ, I'll kick it over to you. What are some of the things you like about Ace Miss? Where are you kind of at on him, and how, how do you see him being able to, to translate in, into the NBA and what kind of role? You know, I think it's interesting. I, I almost think Ace Miss is a bit of a philosophy point at, at this spot because if you're going to be the one that invests in the kid with a pick, I almost feel like you need to put him in the situation to succeed. His play reminds me the most of Marcus Howard at Marquette. Their numbers are similar. Their sophomore years are almost identical. And took Marcus Howard and kind of play him a little bit off the ball, a little bit on the ball. And he's a brilliant spot-up shooter, same as Aismas. And I, I think that the defense is just such a huge concern that if you're going to be if you're going to have him on the floor and you're going to be playing him you almost want him getting up eight threes a game you know he has an elite skill he's in a hundredth percentile shooter in my model and he can get to a shot like you said in so many different ways like game breaking kind of ways and i think that the team that picks him just needs to give him the ball and push him to failure. And it's something that doesn't always happen with second round picks. Second round pick is kind of supposed to fit in, you know, which makes yep. me a little bit concerned on his project projection in the league. I'm not actually sure how the experiment would go, but if I were the front office taking him in practice and in bench lineups at first, I would give him the ball all the time in that half court offense and just see how far you can push the kid and see what you have in him. I don't think he's the kind of guy that is going to scale down into that role player role very well, unless you're just going to run him off the ball shooting a ton and live with the defense because he's going to, he's going to give back whatever he scores on offense, unless you just push him to the limits and, and see what you can get out of him. Before I kick it over to Cole and see what he thinks about um, the, that, that point that CJ just made, because I actually agree in a lot of respects, and I think it's a very intelligent point that you made. I just want to run through um, some of the numbers for our audience, why Aismas would, would rank so highly as a shooter um, in some of CJ's models. So he was in the 99th percentile in spot-ups. He was in the 93rd percentile um, scoring out of pick-and-roll situations as the ball handler, the 91st percentile um, in handoffs, the 89th percentile in isolation, the 87th percentile in cuts, and the 82nd percentile shooting off screens. So really the only thing where he was below the 82nd percentile in all of college basketball uh, was in transition. But as CJ pointed out, as a half-court unique, dynamic, half-court scoring slash shooting weapon um man he he is he is special and reading off how efficient 
um, of a score he he was in the country this year. 95th percentile in jump shots, 98th percentile in catch and shoot looks. It, it, it's like I'm reading off like Corey Kispert's statistical profile when, when Cole and I were going through some things earlier in the season and we were talking about um, why Kispert deserves to, to, to be picked where, where he's likely projected to be at this point because of how efficient, how historically efficient he is in, in, in so many different ways shooting the basketball. You run into a lot of the same things with A. Smith. So I agree um, about all of the defensive concerns. He's small. He's going to get hunted down. He's going to be attacked. I get it. Got it. Um, but he's not going to be asked to be a starter um, by any means. I, I like the Marcus Howard comparison. Um, so if you're using him situationally in, in certain points of a game and you're feeding him the ball and you're letting him get his rhythm, get his mojo, get his shots up, um, and, yeah, you're pushing him to see how far he can go, I, I really like that. Cole, what do you think? Yeah, I like the idea of pushing him to see how far he can go. I'm just not ready to close the door on this kid not being a starter. Uh, the jump he made from year one to year two is insane. And I know is you know, lower competition in terms of the grand scheme of college, but at the same time, just some of the numbers he was able to escalate. His free throw attempts went from 1.7 to 5.5. Like at, for a little guard, that's insane. His, he scored 10 more points a game. His assist rate went skyrocketing from 8.8% to 21.5%. So I do think he got much better as a passer this year. And, and of course, his own shooting gravity is going to help that as well. Um, and just to pull some, put some more numbers on you real quick, I pulled his eight games versus power conference teams this year, and there was no drop-off at all. 24 points per game, five assists per game on 8.8 three-point attempts per game, shot 42.3% uh, from the three, 45 from the field. Still got his five-and-a-half free throw attempts per game and shot 86.5% from the line. So he took it to the power conference this year when he got the chance. We saw it at the end of the year in the tournament. He also did it a little bit at the beginning of the season. So like I said, I'm not ready to close the door on this kid not being a starter. This is, he, what he did was prolific. I feel like this is what it looks like when a kid just completely outclasses where he is. And, and again, when he got the chance to play up against competition congruent with his numbers, he dominated. So I, I agree, this kid needs the ball in his hands, but I think it might pay off a lot more than just some backup. I know the name I threw out at you during the season, Nate, was like Aaron Brooks. I think he's got a shot to be better. Where 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 would you like to kind of hop in with that CJ? Are are you do you see a path where Aceus can outperform the type of role that you and I would would project right now? For example, I, I think I kind of have to side with Cole a little bit in terms of I'm not going to close the door on anything on a player who was that prolific in college. I think it's probably a, a little harder nowadays for something like that to happen for him to be this 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 starter type guard I but I'm not going to rule it out do you rule it out or where where you kind of sit on that point no I completely agree and I was I was kind of trying to to get to that because I I almost think that's the only option if that makes sense he yeah. he's awesome and I really just can't see a way that he hangs in the NBA as a backup rotation guy just because that will mean he's not doing these things that he did in college at quite the level that it looks like he may be capable of. I think that he might just be the ultimate boom or bust prospect because, you know, of course he, he did great in those conference or there's not conference games, but he also played in the summit all year. So you need to, we need to see how it translates to the NBA. I think there were something like three guys in the summit league that played starter minutes that were over six foot nine. It's just not a big athletic league. 
but I, I agree with Cole in that you you need to see what he has. And if what he has is this same outrageous pull-up shooting and he can get to the rim and make an impact at the rim at all in any kind of way at six foot, maybe six foot even, I think that he's like, I don't know, maybe there's a 5% chance he's a starter and the rest of his outcomes kind of worry me. I would draft him for sure, but I would draft him with the intention of making him fail. You know, just giving him as much runway and trying to push him to see how much of that on-ball on ball role he can take. And if he fails, we gave up a second-round pick for him. You know, it's not that it's not the end of the, the uh, world. But he's the kind of guy, and he's putting up the kind of scoring efficiency numbers as a sophomore that, you know, they're just not really seen. So I'm, I definitely would side with Cole here that you just need to, like I said, you got to push him to failure. One thing that I will say about his defense, because there's, I, I won't beat it to death. Well, I'll, I'll say this piece, and then we can move on to to another prospect, because I think we pretty much hit home what we needed to as far as his offense is concerned. But what I will say about his defense is that he actually wasn't quite as bad by the metrics as we would expect him to be. There was obviously a clear way to deter him on that end. Um, it, it, it's running him off of as many screens as possible and trying to sandwich him um in, in between other guys he was in the seventh percentile um guarding off screen so that's clearly what you want to do you want to throw him um and, and, and pick and rolls you want to sandwich him in between two guys get him in a position where given his size he's not able to easily get around a screen um that's how you want to kill him in defense but in terms of him holding his own being competitive being in situations where he was on an island having to guard somebody one-on-one -on -one, he actually held out pretty well um for or, well pretty well in, in context in terms of where you think he would ultimately be but so that actually the fact that he was able to at least remain competitive in some aspects on defense he didn't just roll over to everything that the other team tried to do that that to me that, that that's a positive indicator and that is a reason why um, I agree with you guys obviously he is somebody who if I were in a front office I would spend a draft pick on where you want to spend that pick on him you know that th that's a different debate to have, but I think we're all in agreement that if you're if you're picking him in the second round, there is and there are well, I should say there are multiple outcomes where he provides value because while I agree with you guys that you should want to kick the tires on him as much as you possibly can, th there are situations where he could also be this microwave type option, and he still brings your team value, just maybe not as much value as you might have initially projected, or how much value he was bringing to a college team. But it's a second round pick, so sometimes yeah. we're in situations where second round picks don't even work out at all. So you know what I mean. I do, and I don't necessarily disagree. I think he's going to be a really interesting case study. Absolutely. Before you move on, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. He is, I'd say he's a 100th percentile shooter out of all sophomores in my database. He is a second percentile defender. <laughs> he's, the <laughs> he's the fourth best offensive player total, not just shooting. Offen he has the fourth best statistical profile out of the 571 um sophomores since 2015 and he is a second percentile defender it's just a, a gigantic gap between the two it is it's an enormous gap so i agree case study is 100 percent the right grouping of words to use there 
Um, moving on to a player who I don't find nearly as interesting as somebody like Aismith, but he's somebody that um, he does have his fans out there, and, and we do we do need to talk about him being a, a, a guard slash wing type prospect. Those are the type of, of prospects that are always in demand in the NBA. Ochai Agbaji out of Kansas, um, listed at 6'5", 210, um, obviously has multiple years of experience playing in high-pressure situations for, for a prestigious program like Kansas in the Big 12, but he's a player who has really disappointed me over the years. And what I mean by that is that you see his athletic profile, you see how potentially prolific he can be running the court in transition. Actually, it is a really effective score in transition, particularly when he has the ball in his hands. So if he's getting a rebound or if he's getting a quick, a, a very quick outlet pass for, for him to be able to push the ball up the floor with the ball in his hands, he can make opposing defenses pay if they don't at least try their, their, their asses off to, to try and get back and contain this guy. Um, but he never really developed as this type of scoring option that, that you would like to project somebody with his athletic profile to try and be. He was a 42% shooter on almost 12 shots a game, um, but 37.7% from three on, on almost seven three-point attempts is nice. But you, then you go over to the free throw shooting numbers, about 69% on only two and a half attempts. So not, in, not a, a very large amount of free throw attempts per game in this previous season. But at the same time, he wasn't exactly efficient from the line. And we know how free throw shooting can absolutely help project out um, three-point percentage. Um, but he, he did increase his three-point percentage year over year um, on, on somewhat higher volume. So that is a good indicator. I mentioned the free throw shooting. He's a less than 50% um, shooter on twos. And that's also not an ideal. I really don't like his finishing package. I don't think he has good touch around the basket. Um, obviously, he has the ability to cut. And given how quick he is, he can absolutely separate himself from a defender, catch somebody sleeping, make that quick cuddle on the baseline and score. But if there's a defender to meet him at the rim, I don't like the natural touch he has on some of those shots. And he doesn't rebound the ball well enough for, for me either, offer enough uh, versatility scoring inside the arc like I was talking about. So um, I'm really torn on him as a prospect. I can see how it works. If you're drafting him to, to be this potentially menace type guard in transition and you're asking him to kind of just do the really really easy stuff spot up in the corner to hit an open three every once in a while then i get how it works for me it's really about how much defensive value he ultimately brings in the nba how much of a swiss army knife is he able to be defensively um, and how much value does he bring on that end because i don't think he's going to bring enough value offensively alone to justify getting meaningful rotation minutes for somebody. And that's probably why he's fallen into a second round territory over the years versus where he was initially projecting. I mean, I think um, at some points during his sophomore year, I saw him projected as, as, as high as like a top 20 pick. And I, I really wanted to believe that that was going to be the case for him, but he just disappointed me um, on so many different levels. CJ, where, where are you at uh, with, with Agbaji as a prospect, how, how do you see both his offensive and defensive fits playing out of the NBA? What what do you expect from him? I think I'm in a pretty similar spot to you. Once you hit like 45, 50 in the draft this year, I wouldn't really put up a fight with you drafting any wing there. You know, any of these NBA guys that have the athleticism profile 
he he scales down well. I agree that he probably has very limited on ball intrigue. He he can flash every once in a while, but nowhere near consistent enough to make you buy it at the next level. He's a very strong cutter, like you hit on. Um, very very fast straight line without yeah. the ball cutting. But when he has the ball, he has a, he's a very thin frame. He's not very strong, and he can be pushed off his drives. And he kind of he, he doesn't really take a straight line to the basket with the ball because he can't get through the defender. Um, same issue on defense. He bounces off screens. He's it's essentially if you're taking him, you're betting on the athleticism package being paired with the three-point jumper that is closer to his three-point percentage than his free-throw percentage, and some highlight plays. I don't think he's an actual impactful defender as much as he's just athletic enough to make it work, and he he tends to rely on the athleticism a bit, even on defense. He'll be in good position, and he's a little jumpy. He chases blocks. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not completely sold on him being an impact player in the NBA. But like I said, once you hit 45, I definitely wouldn't fault a team for taking a stab and hoping that the shooting matches the athleticism. Because if it does, it's a pretty interesting offensive player that isn't giving anything back on defense. Does he end up being what Ben McLemore ended up being in the NBA? What do you think about um, that? Probably not. I think he's closer to a a smarter KJ McDaniel's. He doesn't have quite that KJ jump out of the out of the gym ability, but he is a pretty intelligent player, especially offense. He he works well off the ball. He kind of ranges around, cuts in and out, very willing to set screens for cutters and for his teammates. He's a very intelligent off-ball player which I think gives him his paths to being that NBA guy. But Macklemore carved out a pretty nice career for himself, and I would say that that is near the top of what I expect his outcomes to be in the league. You mentioned his defense and some of the concerns you have with, with, with how he's built, how his frame is actually composed. And, and I do agree with those concerns, and I'll read off some statistics and kind of read off a note that I know Cole can see. Um, it's in the shared Google Doc that we have as we, as we were making prepping for this podcast. But so he's in the 90th percentile um, defending in, in, in situations uh, re regarding pick and roll where the ball handler is going to score, um, as well as off screens. He's in the 89th percentile in handoffs. Then he goes down to the 39th percentile rating out in spot up situations and in the 29th percentile defending in isolation, um, 71st percentile defending dumpers, 44th in, in defending catch and shoot. So. What these numbers tell me is that when Abaji is involved in play types where he's more likely guarding someone around his size or smaller than him, he's the better athlete with the length and the mobility who can win the matchup in a tight space. But you put him on an island or you force him to guard one-on-one -on -one against size or someone who's crafty, and he can get put on skates and, and rendered ineffective. Um, that That's, that's what that statistical profile as well as some of the film that i've seen tells me um cole where are you at on agbaji feel free to, to go into points on both ends what, what do you like what do you dislike what, what what can you expect from him um if anything in the nba yeah, so i'll agree with you guys I'm, I'm pretty uninspired by oche um if i may slide in a dad joke real quick his last name should just be changed to a body because that's kind of all he is to me at this point and i really don't mean that in a disrespectful way 
I just don't think he has any elite skill to hang his hat on. And at different times, Nate, you and I have talked about how if you're getting drafted, you really need at least one and a half uh, you know, proven NBA skills that a team can, can bank on and, and work out the rest. And I don't think Abaji really has that. And so for me, I'm probably not taking this kid. I don't think he really does modern day two stuff. I think he does more three-man stuff and the two's body and the sleight of frame definitely doesn't help on either end. I, I can't see him really carving out an effective role on either end of the ball going forward. In my opinion, he's sort of more like a lesser Dwayne Bacon, and I think that uh, version of shooting guard is definitely on the way out in the NBA these days. What do you guys think about that? I actually have written down, this is the last thing that I have written down on him, is I don't think he has any NBA elite NBA skills besides the cutting. So yeah. um, we're step and step there. There yeah, we go. And- he can take advantage of that at the collegiate level. I think he was honestly just a guy taking advantage of lesser competition. I really wouldn't be passing on him. So it sounds like we're we're pretty much in lockstep for regarding Agbaji, as I kind of thought we would be. Um, I, I don't really know too many fans of his nowadays, to, to be honest. I hear his name pop up every now and then, or, or see his name, I should say, pop up every now and then on draft Twitter. Um, but, but yeah, I, I've been uninspired by him. You guys have been uninspired by him. No, no reason to to spend more time on him. I think we, we have a good scope of what his game could be, how he would succeed in the NBA, but I think we're all on the lines of, yeah, maybe it works, but it probably doesn't. Um, a more interesting, we, we use the, the, the term case study for Acemas, but that can absolutely be used for Raekwon Gray. Um, the 6'8", 260-pound forward from Florida State. I don't say those those measurements lightly. Um, averaged almost 12 points a game and six rebounds, 2.2 assists this year. Um, 52% shooting from the field. Um, did struggle to shoot the ball from distance, only just under 27%, but he did shoot 76% from the line, so hopefully that's a part of his game that can be ironed out. 22-player um, efficiency rating, 22.1, I should say, and 58.2 true shooting percentage. So to me... Obviously, it, it certainly feels like his game is more appreciated on film versus just looking at some of the box score stats and the metrics. Um, he shoots well from the field on a variety of different shots, but again, like I said, the three-point percentage is pretty low. The silver lining, as I mentioned, is he can convert from the line. So 75th percentile overall in total offense, 72nd percentile in total defense. He holds his own in more categories than not. A very smart player. Um, situational scorer, knows how to break down a matchup, take advantage of his size, and he's kind of like this sneaky good athlete. And and what I mean by that is that you don't expect somebody at his size to to be able to move and and jump the way that he does. Um, But but he is someone who can vertically challenge shots at the rim. He's somebody who can absolutely get a step on somebody and, and get by them offensively and get to the basket and then when he gets close enough to the basket again being able to challenge somebody challenge the defender vertically get into his body push him off a little bit finish through contact that's something that's obviously desirable um and and he doesn't have a bad handle at all for somebody his size either like i think he sees the court fairly well um i question how much he can play make for others in volume but certainly situationally i mean i don't know if i necessarily see him as 
a full-time starter on an NBA team, but as like this spot starter type forward slash somebody who could definitely soak up like 18 to 20 minutes a night for, for a pretty decent NBA team, I can absolutely envision him taking on that kind of a role. And I think in large part because of what I talked about regarding his sneaky athleticism. Um, but between his offensive versatility, what seems like to be defensive uh, versatility, the way that he moves laterally again, um, how well he can contain smaller matchups, somebody you wouldn't expect from his size. Um, he's just a really intriguing talent overall. Certainly fits into that mixed bag category because I'm, I'm not quite sure ultimately what I'm going to get from him if I draft him, but I still feel um, pretty decent about it. And when we had uh, Coach David Thorpe on the podcast and we were talking to him off the air a little bit. He's somebody that that he's incredibly high on. He loves Raekwon Gray, and 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 hearing those words come from a basketball mind like Coach Thorts, that that definitely caught Cole, Cole and I's attention, um, absolutely. So, um, CJ, what are some of the things that that you've seen from from Raekwon Gray? Where do you kind of stand on him as a prospect? Yeah, I I definitely am buying that he's an NBA guy. You love the body. You touched on a lot of the things he does really well. And I think the defensive versatility is a huge key. I have a few concerns, more just a blanket concern that I always have on college guys that win with strength, is that he's probably going to be stronger than a lot of the guys he plays with in the league eventually. But kind of like how we talked about on Abaji, that he was taking advantage of the college defenses, the gap between how much stronger Raekwon is over the typical college guy and the typical NBA guy is huge. The, once you're in those NBA weight rooms, almost everybody is, is strong, especially at the position that he's matching up with. That being said, there aren't many of those guys that match the gracefulness that he plays with. He really yep. is a beautiful combination of graceful and brutal he needs a little bit of a head of steam to get up to defend the rim i i question i think he could i would be a lot more interested like first round interested if i thought he had utility as a small ball five i like his rim protection more from the weak side than i do in say pick and roll coverages and things like that, but he changes direction really well, and I think he's quick enough to hang with most wings. I'm not entirely sure what he does on offense if the shot isn't falling, but I'm not necessarily as out on the shot as I would be for most 26% three-point shooters. He has really nice touch around the basket, and he has even broken out a couple floaters with really nice touch. Yep. And he's got, he's got that tall arcing shot that I think there are a few tweaks to be made in and I think that I buy him eventually shooting a little bit and if he does it's a lot easier to see how he fits in a modern offense I I like Raekwon he's a second round guy for me right now because I think he's more a four than a than any kind of equity in small ball five but he's the kind of four that covers for a lot of mistakes that typical NBA fives that you need coverage from a four need, if that makes sense. He has that awesome weak side rim protection, and he really is agile enough to play on the perimeter without much issue. 
makes makes perfect sense. Um, I, I couldn't really come up with a quote-unquote clean comp for him, but one of the names I was toying around with on, on Twitter today, um, and Cole, I'll let you chime in on this as well as your thoughts on, on, on Raekwon, but my, my best comparison I can think of would be a little bit shorter of a Boris Diaw. Um, he is that rare uh, of a basketball player that you just don't see come around every day. And just given his blend of size, his skill, potential versatility, uh, I wouldn't say Diaw was always like this knockdown shooter from, from that four spot or that small ball five spot either, but he eventually got there. And I agree with CJ. I think the shot's going to improve uh, well, what do you think about that name, Cole? Well, what do you like and dislike about Raekwon, and, and, and where would you be comfortable drafting him? I like that name. I saw you post it earlier on Twitter, and I thought it was pretty apt, honestly. Um, Dion, Diao and Raekwon are, are both you know, very unique gadget-type basketball players where they definitely just figure out what they need to do on any given night, and I think they're able to produce in that, fa- in that fashion. So I, I think Raekwon will be able to do something like that. Um, I want to drop some numbers on you guys real quick before I get into a little bit more about offense and defense. Uh, so from his sophomore to junior year, his usage rate up, usage rate went up 3% from 20 to 23. His assist rate went up 12.4 to 16.1. And his turnover rate went down 5% from 22 to 17. So I think that's a really encouraging sign that this guy is definitely capable of facilitating offense. Maybe not in that lead, you know, primary type role. I don't, I don't think anybody expects that out of him really. Uh, as you mentioned there, Nate. But he definitely got better. Something clicked this year uh, in terms of being, you know, having the ball in his hands and being able to make plays for himself and, and others. Uh, and then he got even better as the season went on. His conference numbers uh, were a clear step up from his, his regular season play numbers, at least from a scoring standpoint. He averaged 13 and a half per game um, over his 11.9. And then from January 16th to March 6th, he was really locked in. He was averaging 16 a game for the team. And that was when I think he was really... Uh, catching everybody's attention and, and putting himself firmly on the map. So I like Raekwon, and I, and I, I agree with you guys on, on the body um, assessment. I like the word you use there, CJ. Grace is perfect. It's amazing that this guy at 6'8", at 260, can, can actually glide on the floor and have the body control he does, and Grace is such a perfect way to describe that. So I really see this guy fitting in pretty well on the floor. Um, like I said, I think, he, I think he has the rare ability to just like be on the floor and, and do whatever the team needs and do it well. So with with that being said, Cole, where would you feel comfortable drafting him? What do you think? What do you think his range is for you right now? Yeah, so I would start thinking about him in the twenty five range. I think something that we get lost on is like some of these teams pick for, that pick from twenty five to thirty may or may not have another pick in the draft altogether, or they might not be picking again until like forty five. So depending on what they kind of feel like their team needs the most, some of these guys might slide up to up to that spot, like Raekwon. And if they need a guy who can come in and be an ultimate glue guy while potentially learning how to be a second or third, you know, facilitator on an offense, that's going to move him up their board. And, you know, we should, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Wait, I, I know where, where you kind of stand on him, CJ, but I'll, I'll let you put on your, your, your front office slash team cap for a second. Where, where do you think, where, if you had to give your best guess as to where you think NBA teams probably have him on a board somewhere, um, what would your best guess be to to that question? Because I think that he's one of those names that I think is probably higher 
behind the scenes on boards than necessarily somewhere in a public space like a draft Twitter or some of the circles that you and I are having more regular conversations in. I I, I think he's a he, he's a name that's definitely a lot more present in, in, in front office conversations than he is um, from from like the media landscape, for example. Yeah, I agree. I I would have trouble. I would have trouble seeing him go in the first round just because of the quality of guys ahead of him. I, I think I think we said it at the beginning. I think Raekwon's an NBA guy. I, I buy it completely. And there's only so many of the guys in the draft that you can look at and say that's more than likely an NBA guy. So I think his, if I had to give it like a three or four pick range, I, I, could, I could see him going in the early to mid 30s. I agree that he is probably getting more buzz behind the scenes just because of what Cole said. He really is going to fill holes and fit in well. And quite honestly, he's the uniqueness is a thing that sparks intrigue a lot of the time. And you're not really going to get very many 6'8", 260-pound guys that can move like him and can pass like him and can still get up like him. So I think the body type and the skill that comes with the body type doesn't really let him fall past 35, even if he's not necessarily in my top 35. Speaking of big slash jumbo playmakers, guys that are a certain size that you wouldn't expect to be able to handle and have the ball in their hands as much as they actually have over a collegiate season that ties perfectly into our last guy that we're going to talk about this week. Sandro Mamushka. Oh my gosh, I, can't, I, I practiced this and I can't even freaking say it on the dang <laughs> podcast. Mamukalashvili. I think I got Mamu. Mamu Kelishvili. Mamu Kelishvili. Andrew Mamu Kelishvili. I feel like I feel like Chuck and Shaq. We're gonna call him Sandro. All right. But but our our man at a Seton Hall, one of the most unique prospects. Again, the the unique is probably the best word to to really group all these guys. Mixed bag, unique. Hey, I might even change that title later. Who knows? To to just unique. But that's really what a lot of these guys are. Um, he's a 6'11", 240-pound, I, I guess how you would profile as like a larger larger end of the spectrum, power forward slash center, um, who, who for, for better or worse, involved himself in a lot of playmaking situations for, for Seton Hall as his career went on. Um, 17 and a half points per game, almost eight rebounds per game, three assists per game. But what, what really would stand out to anybody looking at different statistical categories or synergy metrics um, is how well he rates out in, in pick-and-roll offense overall. So he was in the 99th percentile in pick-and-roll situations, scoring out of them as a ball handler, and in the 71st percentile as a roll man in those same situations, and then in the 96th percentile in pick-and-rolls, including passes. That's incredible. For, for someone his size, just looking at those numbers makes me think, holy cow, how is this guy not being talked about more and more in draft circles? Um, but I do have my concerns because while it seems like he has a very niche um, playmaking style, he can do multiple things in pick and roll. Even when you look at his defensive metrics, he can defend in pick and roll. He's that smart of a player who's able to instinctually use his size, put himself in the right places at the right times. 
Um, he's not really like this isolation type ball handler. If you get him in isolation, he doesn't well rate well out um, scoring the ball or shooting the ball. He only shot 43% from the field overall on a little over 14 shots a game. But I mean, you take a look at some of his shooting percentages from the perimeter. Um, they, they weren't good. They weren't efficient. And he was only a, a less than 55% guy around the basket, which again, somebody his size, like 6'11", almost 7 feet, um, with, with that much bulk to him, you'd expect him to have more natural touch around the basket. And that always didn't go his way. So you talk about case studies, uniqueness. I mean, th this guy, along with Raekwon, um, should be like the poster child of that for these bigger jumbo guys who don't necessarily... Um, excel at being the these isolation type maestros or, or tough shot makers but they're instinctual heady guys who can bring value to an NBA floor in ways that that go outside of scoring so Cole this is your guy um, you wanted to talk about him this week when we were kind of bouncing names back and forth so I'll kick it over to you first and then we'll pop it over to CJ what do you like about Sandro? Um, not necessarily that you're in love with him as a prospect, but why did you want to talk about him this week? What piques your interest with somebody like him? Yeah, so I actually still really do like him. Love is definitely a little strong, but I still like him. And I think, I think the case for Sandro is that the, there needs to be a happy medium found between what he was as a junior and what he was this year. Responsibility was just piled on him this year. Seton Hall didn't really have anybody else. The guy's minutes jumped from, jumped from 26 to basically 36 a game. I don't really see that happening for him in the NBA. This has got this is going to be a guy that gets dialed back. I think that's what ends up helping him out. So you mentioned his shooting numbers taking, you know, a pretty pretty dismal slump this year. Last year he shot pretty well. He was fifty-four percent from the field, fifty-eight point five percent from two. So I don't think that just disappears overnight. I really do think it has more to do with his role being changed around this year. Um I don't know. I, I think I think the talent is there offensively. I think he does a number of interesting things like pick and roll, like his ability in pick and roll that teams really want. And I think that's going to you know, help him stay up on draft boards. And if you consider that, again, like going back to his junior year, he didn't even have enough dribble jumpers to qualify for a rating on Synergy. You know, and by his senior year, he definitely did. And he didn't rate out very well. But as a junior as well, on no dribble jumpers, he rated out as excellent. So I really do think this guy was just overworked this year. And you, you take some of it off of him, and you have him focus on the things that Synergy clearly says he's very good at, or excellent at even. I think you do have a very good offensive player. I mean, he was even excellent on cuts. This, this dude had, is pretty cerebral. And I think, you know, having a cerebral big who can pass and, and knows where to be on the floor is half the battle. DJ, what are some of your thoughts on, on Sandra? I'm very curious to, to get some of your takes on a unique player like him um, being the basketball mind that, that we pretty much figured out that, that you are at this point. If anybody didn't know already, um, you clearly know the game inside and out. So I, I really want to hear some of your thoughts on Sandro. Uh, I hate to jump on the other side of Cole here, but I am not a huge fan and not necessarily. And I don't necessarily disagree with anything that Cole just said, but he's kind of the, anti Raekwon Gray for me, which is it's funny that we're going um, at them back to back. He, first of all, I buy the shot. I think that his shot selection and the shots that were forced on him this year were very difficult. And he has a quick release and easy NBA range. And I think he's going to be a good shooter in the league. And he has good vision and he's very, uh, he, he moves quickly. He makes choices. He's decisive. That's the word I'm looking for. He's very decisive. He makes his move 
puts his head down, gets to the rim, finds a passer, everything he does very decisively. The issue is, I think that a lot of the reason that he's not that great finisher around the rim is a common thread that kind of goes throughout his game. And it's, he's six foot 11, 240, but he's not particularly strong and he has very bad balance. I think that his post-up numbers were pretty horrific this year. And a lot of that is because he ends his post-up opportunities fading away from the basket way more than he doesn't. He shies away from contact, but not necessarily intentionally. He is more pushed away from contact because he doesn't go up strong to the rim and maybe he can't go up strong to the rim. And a lot of those same strength and balance issues kind of concern me a lot actually on the defensive end which is where I think his real issues as a prospect are I don't have necessarily have huge issues with him on offense because like Cole said he runs that pick and roll really well and I buy the shot and although I don't necessarily think he'll get those same pick and roll reps that he's getting now he's clearly a very talented offensive player but he has absolutely no viability as a center in the NBA because he will not be able to guard bigs and he's going to be a mess on pick and rolls in my opinion. I don't think that he has any, for as quick and agile as his feet are, his change of direction north and south is pretty poor and especially pull-up guys in the league are going to be able to get him downhill and throw him off balance very quickly. So he has in my opinion, of course, very little viability as a center in the league. And then you're playing with, he's essentially a shooting four, which which is a shame because he's a really creative guy that throws a lot of passes. But I think that his role is going to get scaled down on offense in the league to not completely dissuade his creativity. But it's something that has always stuck with me when Dario Saric first entered the league. He is a really creative passer, and Dario ended up making it work in the league because he's very tough, and he found that rim protection role in Phoenix and kind of ran with it. But when he first entered the league, there's not a real great way for a good passer that doesn't necessarily get those on-ball reps to impact the game with his passing. And I'm concerned that he may not get the run on offense that we're hoping for or that he needs to succeed. And he'll be kind of relegated to that spot up and a little bit movement shooter role. And maybe it may just be a um, a, a visible thing that I, I don't enjoy with him. But I feel funny being high on a 6'11", 240 guy that I don't trust in the paint at all. So I guess two questions. A, CJ, would you draft him? And then B... What kind of role would you be comfortable with giving him if you were an NBA team, regardless of if you drafted him or not? Like, what would you want him to do or take advantage of? How many minutes would you be comfortable giving him in a rookie year, given that he probably is? If somebody has him on a roster and is letting him use a roster spot um, and they're paying him, they probably want him to play because he is an older, more experienced player. They're not going to treat him like... Um, like a freshman who's coming into the league and probably isn't seasoned or, or ready yet. They're going to want him to play. So how would you treat him? How would you handle him? Yeah, I don't think I'd draft him. And I think he's draftable and I think he will get drafted. But it's kind of a personal preference thing. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of 
big guys that can't guard. It's kind of a um, a philosophy standpoint more than a player standpoint at this point. But we were talking about it with Raekwon, that Raekwon can cover up a lot of issues that modern-day centers have. And I think that Sandro may just make those issues worse on the defensive end. And I don't think he gets the usage that he would need to make up for that. And especially if he gets bumped out to playing fours, I just don't think that there's any chance that he can stay with fours. So despite how creative he is and how cool his offensive game is, the defense gives me a lot of pause. And I think he'll get drafted because he's 6'11 and has really nice vision and can shoot the ball. And that's enough to get drafted in the NBA. And I don't even necessarily think that it will be wrong. But I think the thing that inevitably sinks him in his NBA career is that he won't be able to defend anywhere near the level that he needs to to stay on the floor offensively. Because I'm not necessarily down on him offensively, other than the fact that I don't think that he is viable in the paint because of a lack of strength. And I don't love that for a big man. But I know Cole likes him, so I'd be interested to hear what he thought because I'm if nothing if not open to changing my mind on guys. Oh, there's a rebuttal coming. I, I know Cole all too well. There's definitely a rebuttal coming. So go ahead, my friend, make your case. Yeah, so I mean, defense is the swing skill. And I think, like I said, on the end of, tail end of my field there, the fact that he is so cerebral, knows how to pass, and knows how to score and where to be on the court is half the battle for big men. But some of them really don't even have that and never do. I think, yeah, he deserves a pick. And, and let's, I'll be honest with myself. Like, I'm probably looking at this kid in come, 50, come the 50s. I'm not really looking at him before that. So it's a low risk, and I think there's some def- definitely a good payoff there. My rebuttal to the defense, if you have a positive outlook on it, is that this is a kid who clearly came along and needed all four years to develop in college, and big men always take longer as it is. So maybe we aren't just done, we aren't done yet seeing, you know, some progression on, on his body. And I actually think he's a little bit tougher than you're giving him credit for. No, he's not a house down, down low or anything like that. He's not a monster. He's not going to tear anybody's face off or anything like that. But he does finish strong when he can, and he has this runway in space. Like, he goes to the rim hard. Um, and I think that's why, you're, that's why you like him on offense, is that he, he plays in space really well. I like I said on my first bit as well, like you're getting him on offense to do the things he's good at and posting up isn't one of those. Yeah, he might be able to flash something every now and then, but you want this guy in space, in the pick and roll, spotting up, maybe making the random cut from the corner. I guess, I, I guess CJ, you kind of feel like he's Luke Cornette and I feel like he's, he's got a better chance than that. So I will say yeah. um, the, regarding some of the numbers, no, it's all good, CJ. Um, we're talking about defending uh, around the basket or defending post-up situations. He was in the 76th percentile um, de- defending post-ups. I think where he really gets lost defensively, at least in my opinion, is not out of pick-and-roll coverage. I think he actually navigates switches uh, where he needs to position himself, how he needs to, to, to trap in those situations or, or play drop coverage. I think he navigates when to do what pretty well. I think he, he just struggles defending in space and having to contest and close out um, on, on jumpers. Not only do I think that he doesn't necessarily react to doing that, well enough but he's also he's not exactly the 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 quickest footed guy either um so i think that's really where he gets burned i i'm i know that we're talking about 
um, the the physicality aspect of everything. But CJ does make some good points there, but I don't think he's he's unwilling to take on the challenge of defending around the basket or that I'd rule him out completely incapable. I just think he needs to to improve, which some of that could be um, coached up in the NBA. I just think that. It's it's the whole space aspect. It's that he's not going to be a reliable guy going out on the perimeter and contesting jump shots and doing all of all of those things. I don't know if you have any different thoughts on some of that, CJ. No, and honestly, at fifty, I'm not gonna you know pick fifty and on. <laughs> That's just personal preference. I, I I wouldn't be upset to see him picked at fifty, and he does absolutely do some really intriguing things that you guys are spot on about. I think. And I may be misreading this here, and feel free to correct me if I am. I think that the biggest difference is I don't see, I don't really see him as a five or guard, especially bringing anywhere near enough defensively to not bleed points as a five in the NBA. And I really value, um, I really value defense first and foremost out of my fives when they're non-star level guys, and he's just slightly less viable as a four to me. Just, you know, I mean, let's not say slightly less. He's also not viable as a four to me, guarding those quicker guys on the perimeter. So I don't really see where he fits. But if you guys see a a path to him being a league average defender at the five, I think that that would probably be the um, the complete part of our disagreement. So just just from the pure five versus four perspective not grading them out as prospects similarly not saying that 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 sandro is going to be as good as this guy or whatever the case may be but you know how like myers leonard's probably a center and you don't really want him playing center like he's much better suited to be a four but he he's not necessarily right there either for for different reasons defensively is that is that kind of where you see sandro uh falling in line cj just in terms of like role and fit between the positions yeah, I think when you're talking about like player type, that that's essentially it. He basically just from a philosophy standpoint, if I'm taking if I'm drafting a big, it's going to be a defensive minded big, and if not a defensive minded big, a big that I think can get there at least defensively. And I don't see that for Sandro, just my own personal opinion. And like like with Myers Leonard, like you said, once you kick him out to the four, I think he's essentially kind of just going to be food and space for quicker um especially in the more modern nba yep. where the wars are becoming quicker and quicker so i don't really see him having defensive viability at either spot and if he doesn't despite how much i like his offense i think that it's probably a death knell on how much a nba team is going to play him especially when it comes to playoff time that that, that kind of guy that doesn't really defend four or five doesn't really have a role in modern playoff basketball. I can I can get behind that that type of context. Um, Cole, do you have any other closing arguments you want to make on uh, on Sandro before we kind of put this podcast to bed? I'll just make the make the point that like if you're taking this guy in the fifties, I don't really think you're expecting him to impact playoff basketball anytime soon. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I made the point to Nate the other day, like. The really good teams have these rotational depth pieces, like guys they can stick in that are like 11th through 15th on the roster that, you know, for a night or two won't kill them and they can do some of the other things that their main rotation players are, are used to doing. And I think Sanjo could fit that role because he is so talented offensively. And I think the post defense can be good enough that, like, you know, some of the offense outweighs it uh, on a backup unit. 
maybe he finds himself on a team with another forward who's capable of you know, guarding, doing a little bit more switching than he is and, and taking a load off him. And that's what makes Draft Deeper such a special platform. And that's why I'm glad, CJ, you were able to join us because we're going to talk about context and fit with a guy who's closer to 60 than he is closer to 30. I, we, we feel that everybody deserves the same kind of love and conversation here. We're, we're going to break down your game if we feel that, that you are a draftable guy. So that's what made today's conversation so much fun with a lot of these guys. And that's why um, it was an awesome podcast overall. I'm really, really pleased with how this turned out. So thank you so much, CJ, for coming on the podcast this week. For my audience, I mentioned that um, you, you're now writing for the Stepian. First of all, congratulations with doing some of the work um, that, that you are for them. But you have other platforms specifically where people can find your work. So why don't you tell my audience, um, give them an idea of where they can find you and, and, and how they can read and, and listen to your work. Yeah, sure thing. First of all, thank you for having me on. I really had a great time talking with you guys. Um, like you said, I'm writing for the Stepian now. If you're looking for anything prior, it's Roll Call Sports, which is my site for basketball analysis. We have a couple of um, really great draft writers that aren't necessarily me. So if you're looking for a change of opinion, check out the guys we have writing at Roll Call. And if you're looking for more in-depth view at any of the analytics or the spacing of gravity or the model that we were talking about in this, all of that and all of the big projects that I've done are threaded at the pinned tweet on my Twitter. So you can scroll through that. I um, I do way too many spreadsheets for my own good, and you can check them all out there. <laughs> uh, absolutely. CJ, once again, thank you so much for coming on. You've been one of my more favorite follows, um, especially over the recent weeks here with some of the stuff that you're doing. And, and I hope that we can link up in the near future. Um, in, in the meantime, thank you so much, our audience, for listening to this episode again. Make sure you're subscribed to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. As a lot of you know, we are constantly talking about basketball, especially now that it's prime draft season as well as the NBA playoffs. So where we're generally putting something or other out on that platform. So definitely give us a follow, reach out to us, let us know how we're doing and, and, and rate and review this podcast. We want to know if you guys have any criticism, anything that you guys you would like to see us improve on as hosts, uh, whether that's conversation, how we run the show, et cetera. We always love feedback um, and any, any positive reviews that you can leave. They help the show more than you know. So um, definitely reach out to us. And I, I thank you all for listening. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.